Our scripture reading today is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. This is where the first missionary journey began, and it changed the world. The good news about Jesus was preached in cities all over the Roman Empire. This trip and others like it that followed produced vibrant new church plants and created the need for the letters that Paul wrote, which make up a large chunk of the New Testament as we know it today. Our Christianity today owes a major debt to what happened in Acts chapter 13. And how did something so world-changing, so history-making, so visionary get its start? It started with something as simple as fellowship and God's Word. The local, predominantly Gentile congregation in Antioch was blessed with five strong prophets and teachers. A diverse group of men united by their love of God's word and who were seeking to discern God's will together. And that can be so powerful. When people with unique outlooks and experiences seek God's direction together, there are all sorts of creative ways they can go in the right environment. That is. Because what did Luke say that these five men were doing? They were worshiping the Lord. Isn't that interesting? Vision didn't come from a meeting. Tightly managed to get everyone out in a half hour. It wasn't the product of a clear agenda with well-defined deliverables. No, something truly visionary which changed the world, which changed this congregation, which changed these men's lives, came about because these men who loved God, who were committed to His people, and who knew His Word, worshipped together. And when they worshipped, they also fasted together. Because that was part of it. Intentionally going without food for a spiritual purpose was a way that this vibrant, diverse, impactful Christian community sought the Spirit. They emptied themselves, voluntarily prioritizing, experiencing God's presence over their own physical comfort. They fasted a lot back then. They fasted when seeking God's will and direction like Saul did while waiting for Ananias to come tell him what to do after he had encountered the risen Christ. They fasted when appointing elders, like they would do at the end of this missionary journey in chapter 14. Because when you do it right, fasting gives spiritual clarity. It helps to produce a deeper commitment. It enables us to discern the calling of the Spirit, which is exactly what happened here. You see, as followers of Jesus, we need personal relationships and spiritual experiences that enable us to discern God's vision for our lives. 
Do you have that? Who in your life loves God, knows his word, and would love to pray and even fast with you to help you seek the Lord's direction in your life. As Christians, we need that. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting in Acts 13, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. You see, there was work God specifically had for them to do. And the way the Spirit made that clear for them was through worship and fasting. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul himself had never thought of taking a mission trip. As though he were just bebopping along and all of a sudden the Spirit said, Time to be a missionary, Paul. No, he'd been preaching for a while. He'd had experience working with Jews and Gentiles. His presence there in Antioch was a kind of mission work that his buddy Barnabas had recruited him to. In fact, take a look sometime at what Paul himself wrote in Galatians chapter 2. Because there we're told that sometime a little prior to this, Paul and Barnabas took a trip to Jerusalem because of a revelation. And they set before the apostles there the gospel that they'd proclaimed among the Gentiles. And they did this because they wanted to make sure that what they had been doing in Antioch was not in vain, but also because they wanted to be sure what they were increasingly thinking they were about to do wasn't in vain either. And at that time, Peter, John, and Jesus' half-brother James gave them the right hand of fellowship, fully supportive of them going to evangelize the predominantly Gentile world while much of their own efforts at the time would remain in Israel's geography. So appreciate that being led by the Spirit doesn't have to be something dramatic or spontaneous. It can be gradual, methodical, a subject for frequent discussion and prayer. It may be something that you've been thinking a lot about, but you want to check in with a few wise brothers before going for it. After all, that's how the Spirit works. God's not a God of confusion, but of peace. He wants everything we do to be decent, orderly, to build up the body. Now, during this time of worship and fasting in Antioch, was there an audible voice from the Holy Spirit? Luke certainly seems to present it that way, and it really wouldn't be that surprising for the time. After all, the risen Christ himself had appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus. The Spirit had fallen on those in Cornelius' house that were listening to Peter preach. So maybe after all of that thinking and planning, that prayer and fasting, the voice of God's Holy Spirit hit their eardrums, telling them it was time to go. But we should appreciate this is the Holy Spirit. That's not the only way that he speaks. In fact, because God opened a door of faith to the Gentiles through this trip, the whole church would soon need to hear the Spirit speak to survive a pretty big conflict that was brewing. You see, there were some Jewish folks who were thrilled that as Paul and Barnabas went out preaching, there were all these Gentiles who wanted to follow their Jewish Messiah. But they obviously had to become observant Jews like Jesus was too. To call yourself one of God's people, you had to be circumcised. You had to eat kosher, right? And Paul said, no, absolutely not. 
That's not the gospel that he preached. You aren't saved by becoming Jewish. You're saved by faith in, by loyalty to King Jesus. So it was in Acts chapter 15 that Paul and Barnabas were sent from Antioch to Jerusalem to ask the apostles and elders about this question. And the Spirit spoke. He spoke clearly and decisively, but differently than how his speaking was presented in Acts 13. Because when you look at Acts chapter 15, you see that the Spirit spoke through what he had done a few years earlier by following on the Gentiles at Cornelius' house, a story that Peter stood up and retold to that assembly. You'll see that the Spirit spoke through the signs and wonders that he had empowered Paul and Barnabas to do on their first missionary journey as they told that assembly their stories. He spoke through the prophets. As James saw that these stories that Peter was telling, that Paul and Barnabas were telling, agreed with what Amos 9 had said would eventually happen centuries ahead of time. So as the assembly reached its final conclusion, that the Gentiles did not have to become Jewish, instead asking only that they observe some minimum standards that would help their Jewish brothers associate with them without feeling like they were being unfaithful themselves. They summarized it in Acts chapter 15 and verse 28 saying, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. And that's what we want. We want to make decisions that seem good to the Holy Spirit. We want to make decisions that are more than just what we want, what we feel is best, what seems good to us. We want to make decisions that seem good to the Holy Spirit, too. We want to make decisions that are in line with how he is working in the world, with the doors that he's opening, with the direction that he's leading. We want to make decisions that are faithful to Scripture, that fit the big picture of who God is and what it is he's working to accomplish. Do we do that? When we have big decisions to make or difficult circumstances to navigate, how does our approach compare to the example of the apostles and elders there in Jerusalem? You see, vision isn't just about entering trance-like states or hearing supernatural voices. As followers of Jesus and dwelt with the Spirit, we want to live by the Spirit, Scripture tells us. We want to be led by and to keep in step with the Spirit. It's how Jesus' followers all throughout the book of Acts operated, and we should too. After that Jerusalem council, Paul's second missionary journey happened. And it allowed his team to visit some of the brothers from the first journey, and to deliver the spirit-led decision the apostles and elders had just reached in Jerusalem. Then once that was done, Paul was ready to keep going. He wanted to break some new ground. The only question was, where? I wonder if the Holy Spirit might have any thoughts for him. Read with me, if you will, from Acts chapter 16. We're going to begin with verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, 
They attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Isn't that interesting? Paul was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Did you know that the Holy Spirit does that? He does. You see, as much as we talk about the Spirit putting things on our hearts, sometimes there's things on our hearts that don't seem good to Him. And they might not be bad things. It wasn't bad that Paul wanted to preach the word in Asia. A few years later, Paul's third missionary journey would bring him straight to the Asian city of Ephesus. It would be so productive that he'd stay there for three years total. And through that ministry, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. So what Paul wanted to do was good. It just wasn't time yet. That wasn't the work the Spirit had for Paul to do at that particular moment. So the Spirit stopped him. And since going south didn't work, Paul tried going north into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not allow them. He didn't allow them. Apparently, he did allow Peter because one of the places that apostle's letter of 1 Peter is addressed to is Bithynia. So it seems like his travels eventually brought him there and God would know that, unlike Paul. You see, visions more than just knowing what God wants done, though that's an important starting place, it's also about discerning what God wants us to do. What part he wants us to play specifically at this particular moment. Because sometimes the Spirit shows us what he wants by saying no. And when the Spirit forbids us, when there's something we want to do, but he doesn't allow it, when we have that job interview, and we're well prepared, and it goes great, but we still don't get the job. When we found our dream home, and we've done all our paperwork, but at the last minute, things still fall through. How do we respond? Do we pout? Do we become resentful? Or do we keep looking for the door that God has opened? Because there is one. There's too much to be done in God's kingdom to just stand still. Now, again, I don't know how the Spirit said no. Luke just wrote that he did. Was it an audible voice? I'm not sure that it was, given the trial and error nature of the whole thing. Was it a strong feeling that they had, or maybe an insurmountable obstacle that left them with no choice but to go a different way? We don't know. Scripture doesn't say. We do know that they could go to Troas. And how do we know they could go to Troas? Well, because that's where they went. They tried to go to Troas and they actually made it there. It's often like that when it comes to following God's lead. Things won't be crystal clear for us at first. A lot of things we might only ever understand in hindsight. But the Spirit clearly did lead them to Troas and it's a good thing too. Acts 20 and verse 7 is an important verse to a lot of us because it shows that Jesus' earliest followers gathered together on the first day of the week to break bread. Do you know what city that was in? That was in Troas. 
Good thing Paul made it there in Acts 16, huh? There's also something interesting that happened there. Because up until Acts 16, all of Luke's descriptions of Paul's mission team have said they went when they had come. But that's about to change in verse 10 through the rest of Acts. To Instead of saying they went, it says we went. Do you know why? Because Luke, the author of Acts, joined them in Troas. If they hadn't heeded the Spirit, Paul might not ever have met his beloved physician and lifelong friend. Luke himself might not have become the author of one of our four gospel accounts and its sequel, this only history book of the early church that we have in Acts. And oh, this happened in Troas too. Because in Acts chapter 16 and verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The Macedonian call. This is one of scripture's best known visions. It was monumental, and because of it, Paul would end up traveling to Philippi and Thessalonica, to Athens and to Corinth, all of which became important places in the early history of Christianity. But even then, I want us to notice something. Paul had a vision in the middle of the night, but he still had to think about it. He still discussed it with the people he was with, men who loved God and knew his word. We see that when Luke tells us we sought to go into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Do you see that? It was a conclusion that they reached. A conclusion that they reached together. That was how the Spirit led them. When God calls us, we still have to think about it, to discuss it, to conclude this is what He wants us to do in this moment. And how did they know they got it right? They could tell by the fruit. They could tell by how the Lord opened the heart of a lady named Lydia at a riverside prayer meeting in Philippi to pay attention to what Paul said and how she was immediately baptized. They could tell because even when things went sideways in Philippi and Paul and Silas were stripped and beaten and arrested, They got out the next day after having baptized their jailer and his whole family. Whether it was Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, or Corinth, it wasn't ever easy, but God was clearly working. You see, when you're truly being led by the Spirit, there will be open doors and spiritual fruit, good that comes no matter the situation or who might oppose you. So let's be visionary. Let's be people who heed the Spirit. Let's be in fellowship with people who know God's Word, who will worship, pray, and even fast with us so that we can grow in clarity about what God wants us to do. Let's spend time with other Christians who can help us work through what God's will is and encourage us to do it. Let's resolve right now that we want to do what seems good to him. That we don't simply want to decide for ourselves 
what's best. And then ask God to make it happen. We want to watch for the doors that he's opening and the experiences that he's giving. We want to test it against scripture and make sure it's consistent with who God is and what he wants done. And then we want to do it with unity and enthusiasm. And if there's something we want to do and he says no, even if it's something good and it's just not the right time, we just can't get it done for whatever reason, we'll accept it and listen for his call. We'll look for where he does want to lead us, for the good he will do, and follow him there. And we'll bear fruit. Because when we're led by the Spirit, that's what he produces. And if you're ready to put him in the lead, if you're ready to repent and be baptized in Jesus' name, receiving his Spirit as a gift, or if you've received that gift, but you haven't been setting your mind on him, you've been grieving him and you need to repent, we'd love nothing more than to help you change that today so that the life and peace that he brings can begin for you too. Let's all stand and sing together.